Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is October the 5th, 2023. A year ago, I did a show with Rick Perlstein, the great American historian, contemporary historian. He had a book out. Reagan land, uh, ideological, cultural, political history of the period between 1976 and 1980, very rich period. On the one hand, it seems profoundly distant. And on the other hand, it seems very similar to what's happening in America today in 2023. One man who knows a lot about both contemporary America and the America of the late 70s is my guest today, Jake Tapper. He doesn't need much of an introduction. He's a household name, household face. He's, of course, in many ways, the face of CNN. But he's also a best-selling uh, author, a thriller writer, as well as a non-fiction writer. And he has a new book out, All the Demons Are Here. He's joining us from Washington, D.C. Uh, and it's a book about 1977, Jake. What were you doing in 1977? Do you remember? <laughs> I was eight. I was watching... Uh... I was watching a lot of TV and playing with my superhero dolls. I had to go back and do a lot of research for the book. I, I did not. A lot of the stuff that was happening in the 70s uh, eluded me. And in fact, I I, I did not want to. Uh, the first book takes place in the 50s. The second book in the series takes place in the 60s. I was kind of going to skip the 70s because I don't remember them being particularly exciting or notable. And I was cautioned that I was wrong. And boy, was I ever wrong. The 70s are wild and bizarre and there certainly were a lot of exciting and strange things going on too many things uh i think jake in in many respects uh, to remind our audience not everyone are, are as keen historians as you remind everyone of of what 1977 was like culturally and politically in the united states well first of all there's just this overlay of tremendous disillusionment with the united states government and the united states pentagon um it really was a time of a huge crisis of faith in American institutions, one that I think continues today. Uh, after the Vietnam War and the, and the publication of the Pentagon Papers indicating that the U.S. government and the U.S. military knew that the Vietnam War was unwinnable uh, as early as the mid-60s and continued to send American service members to Vietnam to die in a war they knew was not winnable, that revelation was like a, a, a gut punch to the American people. And then you have Watergate, uh, where the president of the United States uh, and his cabinet are proven to be crooks, you know, garden variety hoodlums. Um, and they go to prison. Uh, those revelations were just shocking uh, to a generation that had been uh, raised on the, you know, the the mythology and the and the history of, of World War II and what America stood for. So there's that. Uh, and then you also have, I think, first of all, a culture that is more of sex, drugs and rock and roll than the 60s ever could have hoped to be. You have in 1977, it is the beginning of Jimmy Carter's presidency. He elected in no small part because he promised he would never lie to the American people. And he won barely. Uh, you have uh, the David Frost, Richard Nixon interviews. You have uh, the death of Elvis Presley. 
You have um, the Saturday Night Fever and the birth of Studio 54 and the explosion of disco. You have uh, Star Wars. You have um, Elvis Presley uh, dying and a nation mourning what he represented, not just Elvis, but that era of rock and roll. Uh, UFO sightings all over the country. Cults. Uh, it is a huge era of cults. The the Jonestown murders don't happen yet, but the, it's a huge era of cults. They're brewing, Jonestown. Of course, you have Son of Sam that you write Son about. Son of Sam before. murders. And it's not just the Son of Sam murders. It is what that does to journalism in America, because it is really the birth of tabloid journalism. Uh, the the birth Murdoch has already had a foot. He's had a toehold in in San Antonio, Texas, but his he has purchased the New York Post, and it is the explosion of the success of tabloid journalism with the Son of Sam newspaper. So that I could go on and on, but I think you get my point. It is a wild, wild year, uh, and so into this crazy year. I have my, the heroes of my book, uh, roam and try to find their way. The heroes of your book are connected with journalism. Certainly a couple of young men at the time, Carl Bernstein, Bob Woodward, have walk yeah. parts in the book. As a journalist, as someone who's on the front lines now of another crisis of journalism, how much of a crisis was 1977 for mainstream journalism? Was the, the shine disappearing off the the, the 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 faces or the the exteriors of, of Woodward and Bernstein and the Washington Post no I mean I think I think that time was actually um uh, I, I mean obviously in retrospect it was it was a golden age of journalism um but it was it it was a chance for journalism that was probably not taken as much as it could have been um one of the reasons why Murdoch, there were two opportunities for Murdoch that Murdoch seized on that were that were fair for him. One was um, the grabbing people, the sensationalistic aspects of what he did um, that everybody has since done. Uh, the sensationalism that you see in headlines, that you see in cable news chirons, that you see in clickbait, et cetera. That, that every news organization has now done, trying to grab readers. Murdoch was revolutionary on that in, in I don't think, a negative way necessarily. Uh, his production values, the, the sort of thing he did, he did a lot at Fox that, that I don't think was ne necessarily negative uh, in terms of just production values. Um, and also like the perception of, of, the me of the media, of the news media having a liberal bias, I think some of that is overblown, but some of it I think is, is fair. And I think that there was an opportunity there for news media to perhaps try to recalibrate. Um, now that said, I mean, I think what is really truly the, the cancer of Murdochism is not adhering to facts and not adhering to truth. And that's really the problem, right? I mean, that's- and Now you're sounding like Mr. CNN. I mean, do you guys do, you think, do a better job? Oh yes, absolutely we do. And we just- It isn't much, is it? I think, no, it's not saying anything, but, but I mean, I think most news media try to get the facts right and print corrections and, and try to be fair. And, and uh, I mean, the reason that you have major settlements with the Seth Rich case and with those people that were falsely accused on the front, you know, front of being the, possibly the Boston Marathon bombers on the front page of the New York Post and the Dominion $787.5 million settlement in that defamation lawsuit 
is because of the facts not mattering at all. And when you care, look, it's all fine and good to try to get readers and to try to appeal to viewers. But when that becomes the only thing you care about, that becomes the only guiding light, uh, then that's when the problems arise because then, then you're a slave to those individuals. And that's when you don't care about the truth or the facts. And that's when you do things like what Fox did with Dominion, which is just lie because you don't want to lose those viewers to Newsmax or whatever was motivating them. And that's one of the subjects and the subtexts in this book, because it's about a young reporter talking, uh, reporting on a serial killer. And she sees her copy and her headlines goosed. And some of it is for the sake of selling papers and she understands it, but she has compunctions about it. And then some of it is like, well, are they adding copy that is false? Or are they just adding copy that is that is sensationalizing? And that's just like, um, you know, that that's uh, that's where the that's where the debate comes in. Yeah, you've been asked this question hundreds of times, but I can't resist asking. You're a very distinguished journalist. You're reporting, as you say, on the truth and CNN, or at least what you see is the truth. What, why do you feel you need you have the need to write fiction or the all the demons oh. there is a is a thriller. Why not do nonfiction about the seventies? Do another Pearlstein. So um, I do do nonfiction, and I I have I've written three nonfiction books, and I think the next couple books I write will be nonfiction. Um, but I do do nonfiction day to day, hours and upon hours every day, um, and it is it is fun to escape from that mm-hmm. in in a side project. Um, and it is also fun to comment on today and comment on things that I'm thinking about through the world of fiction, um, because uh, it, it just it just exercises a different part of my brain. Um, that's all. I'm not a historian uh, like Rick. I mean, Rick is just a, he's a brilliant historian and he weaves things together historically. The nonfiction I write is about you know, more recent events that have taken place and telling a narrative story that way. So I couldn't do what he does, but I do think the next book or two that I write will probably be more nonfiction narratives, I think. Yeah. Rick focuses, as we all know, on the the crisis of the right or the reinvention of the right, popularization of the right, right, rise of Reagan, rise of Christian evangelical movements and all the rest of it. for people watching, there's a big uh, picture. There's a big poster of Al Smith. Uh, <laughs> well, just so you know, my office is a collection of posters and kerchiefs, because that's what they did like at the turn of the century, of losing presidential candidates. Okay, well, Al Smith was a, a famous loser. What was it, yeah. 1928? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, he preceded uh, FDR, who won the presidency. Uh, my point, Jake, is it's always too easy to just focus on the Republicans and murder. What was happening amongst progressives? Was there as much a crisis amongst progressives in 77 in terms of the hangover from the 60s on sexual rights, gendered rights, racial rights? Well, sure, the Democrats were having their own issues, too. I mean, one of the big conversations at the beginning of the book uh, is about... um, the corruption uh, they're sitting at uh, Charlie and Margaret, who are the heroes of the first two books. And this, this book is about 
their adult kids now in their 20s. And Charlie and Margaret and Lucy are sitting uh, in the Senate dining room talking about the, well, they're talking about whether or not the media has a bias. And uh, Lucy is arguing that the media does not have a bias. And she's pointing out how many stories uh, the Washington Post has or in the Washington Star have broken about uh, the corruption or sexual scandals of Democratic members of Congress. And they go through a, a list of the sexual scandals and corruption scandals of Democrats in the House and Senate uh, in just like two years in the early 1970s. And it's a real list. And it's quite a list. It's quite a list. And, and one of the things that's going on, and this is not necessarily so much about the Democratic Party in terms of its principles, but it's certainly part one of the reasons why the Republicans were able to take control uh, of the Senate uh, and the White House in 1980 is because um, there was such uh, uh, an atrophied, corrupt Democratic establishment in Washington, D.C. Uh, Wilbur Hayes and Wilbur, uh, Wayne Hayes and Wilbur Mills and, over, you know, and on and on and on. Uh, and that was part of the reason why the Reagan revolution was able to take place, because so many uh, so much of Congress was uh, individual wealthy white men in it for themselves in the Democratic Party and not really fighting for the rights of working men and women or minorities or, you know, or women or or the individuals whose whose votes they they needed. It's always easy to look for similarities, and there are many, as you suggest, and many other people have suggested about the 70s, and economic unrest, political decay, uh, crisis of legitimacy of institutions. What about on a cultural front? We had, I, I know you're friends with Ron Brownstein. He has a new, wonderful new book, Rock Me on the Water. A, a, yeah, great book. A book about what he believes was the greatest year in cultural history, at least American cultural history, 1974 in L.A. I mean, 77, of course, is just three years after. Was there more cultural vitality back in 77, um, Jake? Do you think the books, the movies, um, the the music in particular, was it better than today? Or, or are we all nostalgists, our generation, for, for the 70s? Well, it's hard to argue that... It's hard. It's hard to argue against the fact that that the the movies in the seventies were not superior to the movies being made right now. I mean, you look at that string of films being made in the seventies, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, to you know Three Days of the Condor to The Parallax View to well, I think Butch Cassidy was in the sixties, but I mean there was the to uh, uh, you know All the President's Men. I mean, there were just so many fantastic films in the 70s. Jaws, Saturday Night Fever, Star Wars, um, The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two. That said, you know, we're pretty spoiled today in terms of what we what we get day in, day out, uh, just fed to us on our widescreen TVs in our living rooms. So I don't know. Uh, I will say culturally... Um, one of the things that that is also uh, that we're kind of prisoners to right now is there is so much entertainment um, that it's hard that it's easy to miss things. It's easy to to like I don't know about you, but I somebody will say, "Did you have you seen the show 
Dave, you know, little Dicky. And I'll be like, no, what is that? And somebody will say, oh, it was on, you know, came out like six years ago. And then I'll find this show that was on FX, you know, a major channel. And here's this incredible show. And I, I think there's a lot more out there than 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 we know. And then we just we just lose it because there's so much. That's what I think. What about on the military front? One of the central themes in the story as a, a U.S. Marine who's gone AWOL. It, it seems as if American foreign policy and military history is much less relevant today than it was in the 70s. I think we just keep forgetting the same lessons that American uh, military involvement, um, and, and that there's just so there's just only so much we can achieve abroad. And, you know, whether it's Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan, like we have a very effective force at, at, at when it comes to destruction. But at the end of the day, like we cannot rebuild a society uh, that is completely foreign to our language and our way of life. And whether it's it's Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan. That's, you know, we can't just keep relearning that lesson over and over and over. And um, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know how many times the United States world leaders, how the United States um, presidents and, and members of Congress need to learn that lesson. It's just, it's sad. And one of the things that I wrote in the, um, in the outpost, my book about Afghanistan that came out in 2012 is mm -hmm. that it was said in Vietnam that we didn't fight we didn't fight uh a, a you know I don't know how there's no official start date for the Vietnam war but let's say it was a 10 year war uh we didn't fight a 10 year war we fought 10 one year wars uh and you know the same could be said about Afghanistan we didn't fight a 20 year war we fought 20 one year wars because every year we'd shift out command and nobody would learn the lessons of the previous deployment and it's just remarkable how often when I wrote my book about Afghanistan, the people would come in, they'd have like three weeks of overlap, and then they'd have to relearn all the lessons from the previous year. Anyway, it's kind of depressing. Is all the demons are here? Is it in part? I mean, it's a thriller. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful read, Jag. I don't want to give away all the secrets of the book. We want people to read it. But is it also... Jake Tapper's attempt to give America a little bit of a history lesson about how history both repeats itself and is different. Yeah, I mean, they say history doesn't re um, repeat itself, but it rhymes. And, you know, there's just one of these things is like when you know a little bit about history, you can you, you can see like we've had forces like Donald Trump before. Um, we've had forces like Harvey Weinstein before. I mean, this stuff has happened before. Um, and and there are lessons to be gleaned from the past. Um, and like one of the things that's very obvious if you study Joe McCarthy is somebody like Joe McCarthy can't be appeased and you can't just wait him out. You have to stand up to him and call out his lies and call out his indecency. And if you try to wait him out, you're not going to be on the right side of history. And that's just how it is. And um Mainly, I write these thrillers to have fun and so people can have fun. And, you know, I like the era that I set them in to, to be almost like a character unto itself. Um, but I also want people to have fun with the history and learn a little bit about the history. And I have fun learning about it, too, like whether it's Evil Knievel 
or the New York City blackout or Studio a quote from Evil Knievel. He's a figure in the film. A couple of more quick questions, Jake. I know you've got to run. Um, are there two Jake Tappers? When I see you on TV, you always seem a little more prissy, shall we say, harsh. <laughs> and when I talk to you now, you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're softer, but are there two Jake Tappers or do there have to be two Jake Tappers or two anyone who's very visible uh, in, in media? Well... I don't know if Prissy's the right word. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more formal on air uh, than um, than not. But no, I don't think so. I used the wrong word. I didn't mean Prissy. I mean, uh, less, shall we say, critical. I think that I, I try to be the same person on air and off. Um, and I'm and I'm I, I would I would I would say this. I am working on having who I am off air be more of who I am on air. That that is what I'll say. Uh, um, mm. uh, but um, but there is a degree to which uh, I have to hold back a little bit um, because otherwise I would just be yelling <laughs> yelling at people I interview for being full of shit so often. Well, you do yell in your own quiet way. Are, are you as pessimistic as you seem about America on CNN? Or? I'm not pessimistic. I am I am optimistic, as, as our friend Mr. Churchill once said, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing <laughs> after they have exhausted every other possible option how long does that take there that process how many more well we <laughs> we're 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 gonna we're finding out we're finding out but i i do ultimately think that we do you know look i mean there was an election in 2022 and there are a whole bunch of election deniers on the ballot in some very very important states and every single one of them lost uh and, and in arizona it was very interesting. Uh, every single Republican on the on the ballot statewide, except for one, was an election liar, and every one of them lost except for the one that was not an election liar. She was elected. So I mean, people are paying attention. Um, I'm not pessimistic about the American people. I'm disappointed in the people who know better and are peddling these lies to undermine democracy. I think that's how I would describe it. Well, final question, Jake, more important than the future of American democracy. Can Philadelphia beat Atlanta? Can we? Yes, we With can. You? I, I'm a Philadelphian, so I, I'm i gonna reserve judgment. I don't wanna be overly overly <laughs> bombastic in our predictions. I, it's, it's, we'll see, I hope so. We you, don't can. Sound very, you don't sound very optimistic. Atlanta's good. Atlanta's a good team. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm proud of the Phillies. I'm proud of the Phillies. We can. You asked if we can, and the answer is yes, we can. Yes, we can. Si se puede.